Wait, can you start? Can you start that sentence over, please? No, because it's not funny. <laughs> oh. I was just saying things I thought you'd be interested in. We will oh. not be providing the listeners with unfunny cold open banter. No. <laughs> That's not what they deserve. I was about to read my grocery list to my co-hosts. <laughs> and then I think Lena, sensing the impending situation, was like, if I hit record, he'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I have been known to uh, do things in order to, you know, mitigate uh, my own annoyances, but I wasn't, I didn't really feel <laughs> like that was the case here. No, no. It, it did seem like, it seemed like you thought I was going to say something insightful and then I was just going to be like, man, it'd be nice if I didn't have to rent anymore this year. <laughs> and what's, what's the deal with airline food too? Am I, am right, I right with that, folks? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Landlords don't like dealing with them. Just just changing <laughs> yeah. the logo of the pod to that fuck it one struggle meme that has like uh, Mao, Kropotkin, Henry George, and Adam <laughs> Smith on it <laughs> for anti-landlord action. That would be an impressive uh, s- s- group of people to get working together. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I would be in awe of your diplomatic and managerial skills if you pull. I that mean, off. first you'd have to get George. First you'd have to find modern Georges, who mm-hmm. I'm sure exist. Probably in Georgia. <laughs> when uh, when uh, I was in just like a bunch of random discords, I would find that in the list of ideologies. Uh, for some reason, because people still believe that maybe there's a Georgist out there and then no one would select it. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause it's like, uh, cause people go on Wikipedia. It's a Wikipedia yeah, thing and you're clicking the through the like portal to left politics and you're like, Ooh, I haven't heard of this one. Meanwhile, nobody clicks on anarcho syndicalism cause everyone's been yelling at each other about it online for 10 years. But you're like, Oh, I haven't heard of Henry George. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause it's, it's, it's the like ideology political ideology as like a form of identity slash taxonomy more than mm-hmm. it is like actual to like a program based on your beliefs yeah well and i mean people are just like i don't want it to be hard to figure out my politics from the outside and i'm like i don't know if someone's that far outside your politics maybe they should be a little hard to figure out for that person <laughs> maybe <Yeah>. that's fine <laughs> Well, because uh, then you, because you get like people who don't do any organizing and are online, and and they're but and everything is all based around whatever they read on that Wikipedia article, and they're just like, uh, I'm actually a, a modern Saint Simonist, and I'm like, No, you're not. No, you're not. Shut up. <laughs> Name five tenets. Uh, <laughs> uh, David, he was Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> on that note. Uh, Your number one labor podcast. My name is John. I'm Dan. Uh, oh, are we not? I'm Lena. Are, no, I jumped we? it. <laughs> all no, good. I'm kind of sleepy today. I don't know why. Right on. I just finally got all my energy back from being sick. 
but here, we're an entirely listener-supported show, so thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. If you're not in the Discord already, hop in there. It's a great place to find out more about what we talk about and talk to the hosts. And if you are a patron and you don't have stickers yet, just message us on Patreon and we'll get them to you. Leave a five-star review wherever you think it will help. Uh, try the left ideology portal on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, get in a get in an incredibly long edit war with some of the more annoying editors on Wikipedia (laughs) (laughs) and just leave like in the incredibly long argument log that you create arguing with this editor and just put plugs in there. I'm sure people will find it. Uh, People on work stoppage used a time machine and influenced Lenin. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. They did do that. (laughs) And that's why everything went wrong. (laughs) But, uh, Welcome, folks, to the first show of 2023. Uh, you know, really glad that for all the folks sticking with us this year and looking forward to even more strikes and militant worker organizing than we saw last year in 2022. Before we get into our main stories this week, just a really super quick follow-up. Don't have any really much anything written for this, just because we talked uh, a couple shows ago now about the end of the strike by adjunct faculty at the new school after the, uh, you know, incredibly successful uh, occupation of the student center there by the students, which helped in conjunction with the strike force the administration of the new school to agree to the vast majority of the demands of the workers. And just wanted to let folks know because the strike ended, but there was still the voting period that the that contract has now been ratified, and it clearly met the needs of pretty much everything the workers wanted because it was ratified by 97%. Wow. So, that's uh, incredible. Yeah, it must have been a decent contract. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's usually a sign that the, the strike uh, did its job when, when you get a, a contract ratification vote upwards of 95%. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, and then uh, for you know people who are not as content with the world, uh, let's talk about one of the bigger issues that happened over the the kind of holiday New Year season, where the where Southwest Airlines basically canceled thousands of flights, uh, had luggage like loaded up in in seating areas, and just like an absolute like uh, what do you call it? like breakdown of their technical system which was as all as things always are when things are based on the business owners neglecting their systems in exchange for profit they blamed it on the workers yeah i mean this is just yet another stark example of what happens when we let capitalists run vital industries and really in this case pieces of infrastructure because that's really Mm -hmm. what the airlines are and it's just a complete fucking disaster (laughs) because you know as everybody is aware like towards the end of the week leading up to christmas there was a big winter storm that blew through a big portion of the country most of the midwest the central area it even it even got down to freezing in like houston i think Mm -hmm. um wow and and so that was a big storm and it did affect travel all across the country it affected all the airlines but no one (laughs) was as as like devastated by the effects of the storm as southwest and as we've like learned from reading you know reading some testimonials from workers 
that is unsurprisingly largely due to the management of Southwest letting the the important systems in the company fall apart in order to profit more from them. So to get into some of the numbers, between Friday, December 23rd and Wednesday, December 28th, so this is only the course of, of six days, Southwest canceled over 14,500 flights, which is that is just a wild number of flights to cancel. I mean, that, that stranded millions of people, you know, at different spots all over the country. And it led to, and this is the, where a lot of, I think the media mainstream media coverage of this implosion came in. There was a lot of scenes of understandably upset passengers who were then misdirecting their anger onto Southwest employees who, Mm are not the reason your flight was canceled. <laughs> and, and and really, like, as we've learned, we're really doing their best to try and keep what small shreds of operational, like, systems were left going and trying to get as, as many people home as they could. I was yeah. surprised by the number 14,500 by, because I did not really have a conception of that many flights happening in such a short period of time. Oh, Yeah. The number of flights that people take during the holiday season is like totally outrageous. And the airlines, like they, they, they play this up. They'll book your flight even if they know that they're going to cancel it mm-hmm. uh, because the holiday season is so chaotic. They assume not everybody's going to try to get their money back. Not everybody's going to try hard enough to get their money back. Uh, and so they, and they also don't have to pay any penalty. There's no like, right. there's no punishment. Uh, for them for just fucking people around because Jimmy Carter was like, um, hey, let's do this neoliberalism thing. And I think Mm -hmm. a good way to get that started would be to make sure the airline industry doesn't have to play by any rules anymore. (laughs) I'm the cool peanut man. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's that's, this is yet another case because I wasn't 100 percent clear on this. So like when I was first, I was like, oh, well, you know, Southwest had this big implosion. I was like, oh, you know, a lot of this stems from when they deregulated the airlines. That happened under Reagan, right? And then I looked Mm-mm. up, nope, yet again, the secret, uh, like, inaugurator of neoliberalism, Jimmy Carter, strikes again. This is in no way to let Reagan off the hook, but more to point out, the people who, like, hold up Carter as, like, the nice, friendly alternative to mm-hmm. the horror of the Reagan years that would come after – they were a lot more alike than you think. Of course, Reagan probably had to pretend to hate him, but in reality, he was like, couldn't have done it without you, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, same with Operation Cyclone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and so like we were hearing all these stories on, on social media from workers trying to deal with this catastrophe, like T, uh, Transport Workers Union Local 556, which represents Southwest flight attendants issued a statement blasting the airline saying, quote, Southwest Airlines has failed its employees once again, the result of years of refusal to modernize operations. The union points to years of neglect in securing and implementing technology that would make the difference for flight crews, employees, and also customers, end quote. And, and the local 556 president, Lynn Montgomery, was pretty clear about her feelings there saying, The way Southwest Airlines has treated its flight crews can only be deemed despicable. The many years of failure by management, despite many unions' demands to modernize, have left flight attendants fatigued, stranded, hungry, and cold on Christmas. This impacts lives and threatens safety for all, end quote. 
Yeah. We also heard a statement from TWU Local 555 President Randy Barnes, which was reported by Dave Jamieson, uh, who said, quote, many of our people have been forced to work for 16 or 18 hour days during the holiday season. Our members work hard. They're dedicated to their jobs, but many are getting sick. Some have experienced frostbite over the past week. The airline needs to do more to protect its ground crews. So this is just like a, a complete and catastrophic buckling of their entire system, right? Like I, yeah. <laughs> this is the kind of situation where I think most reasonable countries would be like, "All right, you're getting nationalized. I can't wait right. to see what we do yeah. in this stupid ass country." <laughs> but I mean, as I kind of mentioned before, they did try to blame the workers. On the 21st, mm-hmm. Southwest issued an internal memo blocking workers in Denver from taking sick days without a doctor's note on uh, the threat of immediate termination uh the company also threatened the uh any workers who refuse to work mandatory overtime with termination so i mean just like saying you know if you are not able to get into the doctor between the time that you either test positive for being sick or even are just feeling too sick to go in and when your shift is uh you're gonna get fired oh and I didn't put this in the notes, but they specified in the memo that the note cannot be something you got from telemedicine. So like if you're what? even if you, if you feel so sick, you like don't feel that you can get out of bed. And so you try and use telemedicine to get like a diagnosis and get some some treatment, maybe something delivered from your local pharmacy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Nope, doesn't count. Has to be in person or you're fired. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely ludicrous that doesn't even make any sense no no it's 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 and it's we see this because of as we've talked about with so many other industries the rise of the ideology behind lean manufacturing or it's really just lean ideology of running a business at the absolute bare minimum level of staffing so that when you have a crisis the whole system collapses and you're just like oh i can't believe this happened it must have been the workers i mean i gotta tell you i I can see the logic in it i for one keep only exactly as much gas as i need in my car to get to my destination (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) that's funny uh yeah but i mean like what we actually found out through all of this is that this is actually mostly to do with the fact that Southwest has not upgraded any of their infrastructure for years and years mm-hmm. and years and has instead put all of their efforts into paying stock dividends to their shareholders and increasing salaries for management. Yep. So uh, I guess that is the way to run a business, uh, <laughs> not, you know make sure that the business can do what it's supposed to, but instead just make sure all of those profits, which are, you know, as we found out here, partially from uh, customers who are just strong-armed into not being able to get their money back or, you know, coerced into attacking workers uh, during the holidays who are working during the holidays. I just want to point out, Mm -hmm. if you were a dick to someone who was working during the holidays... Go fuck yourself. 
Like, uh, that is bullshit. Yeah. Well, and to answer your question about business, Lena, rule one of business is never feed the golden goose, and rule two is never fix the money machine. And we see that in full display uh, on this viral statement from a Southwest pilot who told us the real story, who said, quote, Southwest Airlines has imploded. Their antiquated software system has completely fried. Planes are parked. In 24 years, I've never seen anything like this. Heads need to roll. Rumors on media are floating that there is lack of crews and pilots are staging sick calls. Absolutely not true at all. This is a computer system meltdown. Thousands of crew members are sitting in hotels and airports with nowhere to go. This airline has failed miserably. And I love that quote because it it doesn't just get to the heart of the matter. It also makes you realize that Southwest Airlines essentially had this happen to them because their online support is as good as Nintendo's. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very true. I also liked the uh, the the euphemistic line of heads need to roll because yeah. obviously they don't really mean that we need to break out the guillotine and take out some of these ruling class people because that would be wrong. But, well, you know... They, they mean planes full of heads need to taxi down the runway to get to their destination. Heads, heads of lettuce. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, and to the point, like, when we say, like, they've been skimping on maintenance in order to to pay stockholders more we don't mean that in a vague general sense uh, it's in the case of southwest it's a very specific sense that literally next month the company is scheduled to pay out shareholders a 400 million dollar dividend and you know i feel like perhaps a better use of some of that 400 million dollars might have been a computer system that works. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it just seems to me like if you're going to have a computer system for rescheduling flights, it should be able to reschedule flights without breaking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. And, 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 And so, like, even the people whose job it is really to cover for these members of the ruling class, even they had to come out and be like, yeah, all right, I guess this is 14, that's a lot of flights. That's pretty bad. You guys kind of fuck this up here. <laughs> so like, like even, even um, Mayor Pete, our uh, secretary of transportation came out and said, what this indicates is a system failure. Yeah, no shit, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that part's obvious, but you're the, you're the, the minister of transportation. I know that's not the word we use, but like, that's it. It's all this, this, we are very, we are monitoring the situation and we are not happy about it. That, mm-hmm. That's it. There's no talk of nationalizing the airlines, as you said, like that would be the logical thing to do. Cause it's like, okay, capitalists, we gave you this airline system and we're like, okay, in exchange for running an airline system, you, you, you get to make a lot of money and we get to have people go through the air and you didn't fulfill the, we get to have people go through the air part. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I actually uh, want to put a little proposal out there. What if we start calling everybody in these positions czars? So this is like the transport transportation czar. They love now, that. You know, I mean, people do do that. So <laughs> they still, do that. So. Yeah, because <laughs> they like it because it's also like a little bit of anti-communism. Just if you yeah. know your history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, the whole thing was just an absolute disaster. And and I, I think the most important thing to take away from this though is is that like. There's story after story after story online about basically like flight crews rescheduling and rerouting flights on their own Mm -hmm. to get people where they needed to go. Once again, 
the workers are trying to make the system work and the people that are holding them back are the bosses and the bullshit systems that they set up to maximize their profits. So like, you know, if you, if you want to point out to somebody, you know, like who's, who's like, yeah, I know you talk all about this. We need to have universal health care and all this socialism stuff, but what about capitalism works so great? And of course, you know, there's a million things you can point to, but I think one of the more illustrative ones recently will be Southwest. If you yeah, want well, to be like, look, Hey, this is why we shouldn't have private airlines. <laughs> look, yeah. as the secretary of transportation, I Pete, but gig pledge that within five years southwest airlines will be as good as amtrak (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah absolutely (laughs) well in another reference to anti-communism i we can move to our next story which is uh an appropriation of a, a what is a communist term for the most part uh where workers in at blizzard at a at a at a studio called Proletariat Gaming, Ooh, you know, like huh? anybody know that word? Uh, <laughs> uh, have filed with a supermajority with the NLRB to be recognized while joining the CWA. But like every single other Activision Blizzard uh, studio, they are facing ex- you know extreme repression from Blizzard, who we are also not seeing. Uh, follow any of the principles of the company they want to merge with Microsoft and their neutrality agreement with the CWA. Yeah. So, you know, we've previously covered the successful union drives by QA workers at Raven Software and Blizzard Albany. And so these workers at the Boston studios that that Blizzard owns, which they only recently acquired, like Proletariat was its own separate company and then was acquired during the summer by Activision Blizzard. And so now the workers there are trying to become the third uh, union at the company. And so Proletariat, they're they're a small studio. Uh, They've primarily worked on mobile games, but since they were purchased by Blizzard, have been shifted over to working on World of Warcraft, which I will admit I continue to be shocked is still running. I played that game in 2004, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and it's on the same engine. Uh, well, it, it's kind, also kind of amazed be, by that. <laughs> it, it's got to be a pretty big shakeup to go from working on mostly mobile games to suddenly working on like one of the biggest PC franchise yeah. updated series. I don't even know how to describe what WoW is anymore. Uh, yeah, I mean, because like the MMO genre, I feel like doesn't exist in the same way. It, yeah, no, you're right, though. Yeah, everybody wants to play a battle royale. <laughs> yeah, it, it's weird. But so one thing, though, that is definitely different about the workers at Proletariat who are trying to organize is this would be the first union at Activision Blizzard that isn't exclusively centered on QA testers mm. because they've they have proposed that their union should be more or less wall to wall. The proposed bargaining unit would include, yes, QA workers, but also animators, designers and engineers. And so. Uh, workers, I will say, it seems like the workers at Proletariat kind of knew what was up well before they got bought by, by Activision Blizzard. Uh, so like Dustin Yost, a, a software engineer at the company said in a statement, quote, everyone in the video game industry knows Activision Blizzard's reputation for creating a hostile work environment. So earlier this year, when we heard that Blizzard was planning to acquire Proletariat, we started to discuss how we could protect the great culture we've created here. By forming a union and negotiating a contract, we can make sure that we are able to continue doing our best work and create innovative experiences at the frontier of game development, end quote. I think these developers might know what their name means. 
Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I looked at their website, and the obviously it was written by the business and you know whoever their interests are, and it is like we're customer centered. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> That's to be expected, I suppose. From an, it's it, it is always weird when you see companies that use these names because it always gives me yeah like a, a no evil foods vibe like yeah. right off the the bat. Uh-huh. But um, so the workers have issued a uh, basically what they're calling a vision statement, essentially what they want to protect and secure by getting a union contract, and that includes a list of items such as maintaining our progressive human first benefits such as a flexible PTO policy, remote work as a permanent option, and robust healthcare. Uh open and transparent communication over compensation and pushing to pay workers a thriving wage. Uh, I like the use of the phrase thriving wage. Um especially because it gets beyond the idea that like a wage should only be what it, like a level at which you can live. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. And then, so, uh, they also want to fight for clear, equitable, and actionable processes and resources for workers to attain their career goals, such as professional development, paths to promotion, and raises. They want to make sure that overtime is never mandatory, that refusing doesn't affect performance evaluations, and that voluntary OT has better pay and health protections. That there is a transparent process by which management and workers can hold each other accountable without fear of retaliation to seek justice for all workers, especially those who hold marginalized identities. And that their cultural culture and practices prioritize diversity, equality, and inclusion in every level of decision-making and support underrepresented groups so that we can build the most diverse and equitable AAA game studio in the country. Seems like a good list of goals. Uh, I mean, CWA District 1, which is backing the organizing drive, issued a statement from its vice president, Dennis Trainer, who said... Quote, the entire CWA family stands with the proletariat workers as they show their dedication to each other and to improving standards for the entire video game industry by forming their union. It's time for Activision Blizzard to abandon its playbook of delay and illegal interference and respect the proletariat workers' right to vote for union representation and bargaining a contract. End quote. Hell yeah, Um, so... There's just been a, a ton of great energy from all from all the workers. The demands are great. The uh, the union has their back. And 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 what does Activision Blizzard feel about this? Uh, what have they so said? far, there has been zero response from Activision Blizzard. Basically, you know, as I mentioned earlier, not honoring the neutrality agreement for Microsoft from Microsoft, which, you know, I mean, I think that maybe they're just thinking it's going to not happen. Like the merger is just not going to happen. So they don't have to respect it anyway. Not that they really wanted to in the first place, but I mean, these workers will be the third unionized studio at Activision, whether management likes it or not, because these workers do have a huge amount of support within their ranks. Yeah, yeah. It's, I I love to see it, but and it's unfortunately not all that common that you see workers come out of the gate like so well organized and insanely well prepared and unified like right away. Yeah, I mean, the only thing, the one thing I would worry about here is that if Activision Blizzard wants to go, you know, full out with their anti-union bullshit, mm-hmm. like I don't think that they're going to be able to stop a union election because of how much support and organization these workers have. The one thing I would be concerned with is, is potentially their ability to use legal maneuvering to basically try and break up the bargaining unit to be Mm -hmm. like, okay, fine. You want a union election? Okay. You can vote for a union election for just the QA workers and you can have a union election for just, which is funny because it's the inverse 
of the argument they've been making in all the other studios, but we've seen companies do that time and time and time again. They make one argument because it, at one situation that they think will benefit them and hurt the union, then they'll turn around and make the exact opposite argument in another situation to try and do the same thing. Yep. Absolutely. That was my concern as well. I mean, they'll do whatever they can to, you know, make it more difficult for workers to collectively bargain for better conditions. And in our next story, we are going to be talking about California nurses who struck over the holidays and then New York nurses who may strike as well. So this holiday season hasn't stopped workers from fighting against oppressive working conditions on Christmas Eve after unanimously rejecting their employer's last best and final offer. Nurses in Oakland, California's Alta Bates Summit Medical Center hit the picket lines for 10 days. Uh, reporting from Labor Notes, Sarah Hughes noted that the nurses of Alta Bates, who are members of the California Nurses Association, have been fighting for a new deal since January 2020 and have held short strikes in April and October to demonstrate their uh, their determination. However, since the company has refused to budge on key issues like wages and retirement, the nurses have been forced to extend the strike through Christmas and New Year's. And then the the contract proposal from Sutter Health, which operates the facility, would which would set up a two-tiered retirement system, ending pensions for new hires and forcing them into 401ks. And we all know how much we hate 401ks. I almost wanted to put a joke in there, but I'm just like, I can't even pre- play right now because, honestly, 401ks fucking suck. Uh, bad, the folks. raises offered uh, averaged 5% per year over the four-year contract, which would leave nurses... uh, underpaid by thousands of dollars a year compared to nurses at Kaiser Permanente facilities in the same area. Yeah, Uh, that that was really something that the the nurses, at least in in this really good Labor Notes article that that, um, Sarah Hughes wrote about this issue, that was really one of the big things that they were hammering on was that even workers at Kaiser and longtime listeners of the show or people who live in California, I'm sure are well aware Kaiser's not some great company and are, uh, and are right now, you know, fighting, uh, healthcare workers in, in Hawaii over, over better conditions. So mm-hmm. the fact that nurses at Kaiser are get, making that much more money is a pretty damning situation for the workers at the Alta Bates facility. So, uh, and, and this attempt to force them onto a two tiered retirement system. I mean, we've seen that so many places, especially just every company trying to end pensions because they don't want to pay for a legitimate retirement system for workers. They want to have the bullshit scam that is 401ks. Uh, and, but one of the things though, I will say that, that is makes this a little different. And the reason that we're seeing this fight on the retirement front is that in a lot of other industries, the reason we haven't seen this specific issue is because it's already been lost. Whereas in nursing, because of how militant nurses unions have been, there are a lot of nurses who do still have defined benefit pensions because, and purely because of the fact that the workers have stood up and gone on strike every time these companies try and force them onto 401ks. So like, Kaiser specifically, like, you know, the, the alternative healthcare company they point to in this has tried to do exactly what Sutter Health is trying to do here multiple times, but has been beaten by the CNA and the Alliance of Healthcare Unions on, on multiple major strikes. And so 
There was one thing that uh, was the Labor Notes article did point out was that there has been kind of some tension between the upper levels of the union, the, the California Nurses Association, and then the rank and file bargaining team on the ground at Alta Bates, where the national level leadership actually encouraged workers to accept the company's recent proposal touting the wage increases. Uh, and and kind of playing down the problem of the the 401k two tier system that they're trying to introduce for retirement benefits, uh, but workers basically <laughs> at the Alta Bates facility itself were just like, no, <laughs> we're not going to accept that. We're not going to give up on new workers and tell them they have to accept a vastly worse retirement set system. And so the workers voted 86 to 14 percentage wise uh, against. Uh, accepting the tentative agreement. So the workers at Alta Bates were on strike from Christmas Eve through January 2nd, which is the day that we are recording this. And so, you know, we'll have to see since the strike just wrapped up, like how that impacts negotiations. And so, you know, it, it, when news comes out later on, we'll, we'll follow up. But just the fact that, you know, these workers didn't just they not only had to, you know, fight back against the company, but also had to explain to, you know, upper level leadership in the CNA that are like, look, okay, yeah, we get that there's some okay raises in here, but it's not enough. And we're not going to accept giving up pensions for our new workers. And so we can't accept this agreement. And so I just want to, you know, hats off to the nurses at Alta Bates for standing up not only for each other, but also for future workers who will come to work at the same spot and fighting to make sure that they have a fair and really good retirement system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and then as I mentioned, uh, on the other side of the country in New York's uh, state, the Nurses Association uh, voted on December 22nd with 17,000 nurses organized uh, unanimously, 99% in favor to authorize a strike for 10 days after the contract runs out on New Year's Eve. So these 17,000 nurses work across 12 privately run hospitals in the city, uh, in New York City. Um, and are demanding raises to bring pay in line with inflation and soaring cost of living within the city. They are also fighting for safe staffing levels, as we see at almost every single nursing struggle, and for the hospitals to stop trying to cut their health care benefits. Pretty ironic on that one. In mm -hmm. uh, an interview with CBS New York, uh, NYSNA, President Nancy Hagens said, quote, you cannot continue to ask nurses who work in the surgical unit who should have five patients and she's covering 12 patients. All we want to be able to do is care for our patients safety safely, uh, end quote, which is I mean, it feels like we're repeating ourselves so mm -hmm. often with this because yep. it is always about safe staffing levels because the companies are like, trying to do labor intensification at every single turn, making it so that nurses are required to take care of more and more patients, deteriorating the level of care that they can actually give to those patients every single time. Well, yeah. and no matter how well established it is that overwork and understaffing is like the most critical issue here, media and the administrators of the hospitals never hesitate to be like, actually, the striking healthcare workers are abandoning the patients. Every uh, time. And, and despite the fact that if you go around and ask the patients, which doesn't happen all that often, but uh, it turns out that when they're asked, they're actually very supportive of the nurses. It turns out the people who are sick want the people who are taking care of them to be doing well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It reminds, I've been in the hospital Damn, a couple wild. times uh, 
for different reasons and I'm all dreary coming out, you know, I have your anesthesia and I'm, I'm being wheeled out or whatever. And, and I'm just talking to the nurse being like, you know, y'all need a union. I, I'm just <laughs> like, I want y'all, because if you're taken better care of, then I'm taken better care of, you know, it just makes sense. And that's, that's me every single time. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I think it's also glossed over by the media because it's convenient for them. They like to let people have the idea that, like, every single healthcare professional, no matter what, just walked away from every patient, no matter how sick they were. It's like, that's not really how nurses' strikes works. They make they make exceptions yeah. for, like, really, like, critical life-and-death cases. Yeah, absolutely. And one one small piece that I, I just wanted to note that's a, an interesting bit here, just on the labor landscape, specifically in nursing in New York, is that... We, we specify that these nurses are striking at privately run hospitals mm-hmm. because, you know, in New York City, there are still publicly run hospitals. But the nurses there are held hostage by a really draconian anti-strike law for public employees. And so the workers at the public hospitals actually end up getting forced into really awful conditions because they are legally banned from striking. So, like, you on the one hand, you know, you have the the nurses who want to serve the people and don't necessarily, you know, want to be exploited by some private healthcare company so that their labor is just sending billions of dollars to some jackass hedge fund manager. And there's like, I'm going to go work for the state run hospitals. It'd be great. I can work directly for the people at the people's hospital. And then because of the fact that we let States run their own labor laws. You have, again, supposedly liberal New York that's just like, oh, you work for the state? <laughs> no, you don't have any labor rights. Why would you think you had those? Oh, disgusting. But, yeah, so we'll see um, if this strike does, in fact, happen, because that's one of the other things is be- the nurses did have to give 10-day notice. So when their contract expired on the last day of the year, they did issue that notice. So it's it'll be basically... I believe next Monday, the 9th of, of January would be the day that they would strike if there's no tentative agreement reached mm-hmm. before then. So we'll definitely keep folks posted well, on that. And just as of the time of recording, uh, ABC seven is saying that one of the facilities has a tentative agreement. Okay. Okay. So yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do a follow up on this like next week, just so that we let folks know. Cause obviously, you know, 17,000 nurses, Striking, although maybe not seventeen thousand, if one of the hospitals right. has a TA. But even just any, even a, a half of that would be an enormous strike, especially you know it's in one of the biggest cities in the world. So we will definitely keep folks posted as that develops. But so one thing about the last week of the year that gave me a bit of an opportunity writing notes is that because at least most of the middle class, which I know is a nebulous term that doesn't really have a real meaning, but you know what I mean when I say it, like, uh, like has that time off while a lot of the working class, you know, doesn't, um, that also means that a lot of the people that I normally follow for labor news on Twitter, all also justifiably are taking a vacation, which is great. Good for them. Everybody deserves that time off. But that gives us time to cover stories that maybe fell through the cracks a little bit. And this is one that I had been meaning to put on our list for a while, but I never got around to doing it. And that kind of sucks because these folks have been on strike for a while. So just first off, shout out to MW Kami in our Discord, who has been posting updates about this over the last couple of months and made it easier for me to put these together. So I appreciate that. And what, what we're talking about here is a strike that's been ongoing for months now. 
at the Ingredion facility in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So there have been workers who have been on strike. These workers are organized with BCTGM, as, you know, so many of the other folks will remember the BCTGM, if you only know about them from listening to the show, from the Nabisco and Frito-Lay strikes uh, that happened... I guess in 2021. Yeah, Bakery, (laughs) Confectionery, Tobacco, and Grain Millers Union. Yeah. So the workers at the Cedar Rapids ingredient plant received the company's last best and final offer back in July, and the workers unanimously rejected the deal and moved for a strike. So these this is uh, covers 115 workers who are organized with BCTGM Local 100G. They went on strike back on August 1st when their contract expired, and they've been fighting on key issues like pay and healthcare premiums because the company wants families to have to pay $500 a year more for their health insurance. And that's just for the first year because they also really want to be able to renegotiate premiums every year instead of like have locking in a premium for the whole length of the contract, which would open up the possibility for them to increase premiums every single year mm-hmm. on workers. And, and then of course they're also trying to, force workers to accept a requirement to be on call outside normal working hours, which of course, you know, they may say, Oh, well you, but you know, most of the time you're never going to get called in and it's fine. You'll be out. It's, it's, you're not really working. Anybody who's ever been on call knows that that's bullshit. And and that if you are on call, you might as well be at work because you have Mm -hmm. to be ready to be at work at basically the drop of a hat. So like, That is a big change to attempt to force workers who have not had to be on call to now have to just accept that in a new contract. Um, And there's also been a dispute in these contract negotiations with Ingredient about who's actually in the union. So uh, BCTGM had organized workers at this plant, which makes a variety of like food products, largely out of corn starch. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, they they bought the plant back in 2015. Ingredient did, but it was organized before that. And the and BCGM had done more or less wall to wall. I don't know that it's all the employees, but it's across many different job classifications, including lab technicians, quality control workers, package handlers, lot, work, workers all over different departments. Ingredient though is now trying to split the bargaining unit, saying that they will not sign a contract unless the union removes the lab department workers into a separate bargaining unit. And my read on that, at least, is that what they're trying to do is they're trying to take the workers that they view as the most skilled or really from their perspective as bosses, the hardest to replace, Mm -hmm. and therefore the workers that potentially have the most leverage over the bosses. They want to put them into another box so that they can then give them, you know, a little bit higher raise, maybe a little bit better benefits and tell them, hey, look, you know, what do you need the union for? For. You can just to certify that shit. We'll give you a, a little higher raise so that then they can take the workers that they deem, you know, quote unquote, less skilled or more replaceable into another bargaining unit that they feel will have far less leverage and strikes. And this this is like, I think, one of the most insidious parts of like ingredients attempt to bust the union. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting version of <clears throat> what we always see, which is normally they just say like, oh, you, you have too many people or we need to, to d- divvy it up this way. But to specifically take that one department and say they need to be a separate bargaining unit, we don't care that the rest of the other workers are all one unit, kind of like lets you know that they're trying to attack with a very specific plan. 
Well, and the uh, company yeah. always will try to create tiers of workers, and this, mm-hmm. this is always just to benefit the bosses. Right. Yeah. So, so this company, Ingredion, makes uh, ingredients, unsurprisingly, yeah. for a variety of different food products. So the Cedar Rapids plant primarily produces cornstarch for a bunch of different products, uh, including animal feed and cardboard boxes. I didn't know you needed yeah, that- cornstarch for cardboard. <laughs> I didn't know that either, but I guess that's one of the primary things their cornstarch is used for. It was something I learned researching this strike. I didn't know cornstarch was in cardboard. That's fascinating. Delicious, <laughs> um, delicious cardboard. Yeah, who doesn't love <laughs> yeah. a nice corrugated in the morning with a little <laughs> butter and some Marmite. Uh, so, the company, so this company employs over 12,000 people and they brought in nearly $7 billion in revenue in 2021. They spent over $86 million of their dollars on stock buybacks just this year uh, while refusing to negotiate a fair deal with their workers in Cedar Rapids. So in September, after six weeks on strike, Ingridion began attacking the union by taking out full page ads in the Cedar Rapids Gazette, implying that the company had been bargaining in good faith and offering workers a good contract, but that the union was being greedy by not accepting it. <laughs> and uh, let me tell you, you can you can believe everything you read in a full page. It's <laughs> all <So> true. <laughs> yeah, so. it, it's fun. It's a, we've seen a few different companies try this. I don't think I've ever seen it work to like break worker solidarity, but they keep doing it anyway. <laughs> I feel like at this point, even like the really old people who still read newspapers aren't going to be fooled by this because if I know anything about old people it's they love to tell you they know they're being lied to (laughs) and if you put put a big lie in their face like that (laughs) they're not going to be able to resist (laughs) yeah and so at around that same time when they started putting out those attack ads in the paper they also escalated their intimidation campaign where so they hired half a dozen armed security guards to intimidate and harass striking workers both on the picket line and also in bargaining sessions. Jesus. Like they brought they brought the armed guards to like a hotel conference room where they were negotiating with the the workers and that caused like a whole uproar understandably because why are you bringing armed guards to a contract negotiation. Yeah, what are you, a CIA puppet state? Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. so. The the company, of course, claims, oh, no, no, we're not trying to intimidate people. No, no, we needed the guards because of, in in their words, quote, repeated threats, approximately 100 incidents, end quote. Really? Oh, wow. That seems real credible. They go to a different school in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like the union, like the uh, the union reached out to them and was like, "What threats? Please tell us so we can, you know, discipline the workers who are threatening you because they're not supposed to be doing doing that." Like the local 100G president, Mike Moore, said he specifically asked who they were receiving threats from, and the company was like. Oh no, we can't give you that information. <laughs> it's like, okay, then I don't believe you. Then there are no threats, and you I, made that up you know to what? justify these guards. I know exactly where those threats came from. They came from Twitter. They had people in their Twitter <laughs> yeah. mentions being like, "Go fuck yourself," and <laughs> suddenly the bosses are like, "Oh, I'm in danger." <laughs> yeah, the threats were written on Joseph Smith's gold plates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean it's like. Yeah, somebody went on their into their Facebook menchies and was mean to them, and so they needed to hire a bunch of Pinkertons. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
it's ridiculous. And so like Iowa Federation of Labor president, Charlie Wishman told uh, reporter Amy Rivers at the Iowa starting line that quote, the intent was clear in the actions of the company. They were trying to terrorize or possibly even send a message. They intend to harm people who are looking to discuss issues in their workplace and end the labor stoppage end quote. And that's true. And I honestly wish that, you know, more labor officials were this blunt and about it, because I feel like sometimes they're just like, they're, they're a little more circumspect, like, you know, you know, I hate these people, but we're going to have to be around the negotiating table with them. This guy's just like, no, fuck that. These people are terrorists. Well, so um, I, I kind of get the impression that the Iowa Federation of Labor president might be on a slightly longer leash just from lack of attention. Yeah. <laughs> so if he's yeah. a cool person, then he can do cool shit. Uh, yeah, maybe more, more Cooper Caraway style action, you know? <laughs> uh, that's, we, that's what we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but so in, in, in mid-November, just uh, about six seven weeks ago now there was some hope in progress as the union and the company had settled terms on a lot of peripheral issues in the contract but unfortunately there were several key outstanding ones such as the health care costs and pay so uh since then it seems like there's been very little progress i have not been able to find updates on the strike really since the beginning of december um and yeah, it's it's really this is one of those ones that's real frustrating because like, you know, the strikes dragged on for 5 months mm-hmm. with very little coverage. Almost everything I found about it was from local media. Um and and again, thanks to the uh, our listeners in our Discord who helped provide us with the information about it because this strike is getting very even le- even less coverage than the case New Holland strike, which is already not gotten nearly enough coverage. You know, I think I see this a lot with BCTGM actions, unfortunately. I mean, like, I don't know what it is. If Maybe it's the media trying to, you know, minimize those stories because they often call for strikes and boycotts, and those are really dependent on whether or not the, you know, regular citizenry knows that they should be, you know, boycotting these places. And so by keeping the coverage of BCTGM uh, strikes small, they can always justify not, you know, putting those sorts of demands out there in the future when they do come. Yeah. But I mean, despite, thankfully, despite the fact that this has gone on for five months, despite the fact that there's been very little coverage, the workers have stuck together. There's been, as far as I could find in reporting, no crossing of the picket line with like workers specifically saying that they've been sticking together and nobody's done that. Um, which is for five months, that's impressive, mm-hmm. I think, because, you know, a lot of folks, even if you wanted to stay out there, if you're not getting paid for five months, it can, it can be really hard. So um, <clears throat> the workers have held rallies with community support and other unions in the area, like the steel workers, have shown up personally on the line to show support and have dropped off food, coffee and other needed supplies, which that that rocks. Hell yeah. Steel workers. Um, and so, yeah, it's obviously very frustrating that ingredient continues to refuse to negotiate fairly on these vital issues. But I do think that the unity of the workers in this case is really inspiring because I think there's a, you know, there's certainly been other cases where there have been these sorts of attempts to split a union into smaller parts or to pit one group of the workers against each other that have had some level of effectiveness. But here clearly that has not been the case. And so, you know, shout out to the workers at ingredient and I'll, you know, as the strike continues, if there's new developments, we'll definitely try and stay more on top of this one.
Yeah. So so in New York City, we often get to, surprisingly, compared to many other places, get to cover little bits about legislation, which is, I think, kind of uh, something that we generally don't hit. But in this particular case, we've actually seen workers themselves fight for and force government to pass a regulation that actually gives a little bit of teeth to workplace safety. So in New York, the construction industry have, you know, fought and fought for this new law called Carlos's Law, um, which has created actual punitive damages for the construction industry and the many deaths that are caused by negligence in that industry. So in reporting from Documented NY, Amir Kafeji notes that surge in non-union construction sites in New York City have carried with it increased worker deaths. Three workers died on construction sites in the city in November alone, including one worker who fell 162 feet to his death in the Upper West Side of Manhattan on November 28th. Data collected by New York State OSHA found that 86% of construction deaths in New York were, in 2018, non on, on non-union job sites, basically just reinforcing that union jobs are safer jobs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and this is also a, a, a worrying trend, which is a big part of what pushed for this law to be passed. Because we saw there was at least 29, and this is the thing that one of those things that's so frustrating is that because, you know, the government's role is not to help the working class, but to help the bosses, there's not a lot of resources thrown at good labor statistics uh, at the federal level, much less the state level. So, and because of the fact that the construction industry, especially non-union construction firms often try to hyper exploit um, migrant labor that also tends to really hamper record keeping because, you know, if they're trying to super exploit some worker by paying them under the table, not paying them the rate they're supposed to pay them. They're not going to keep good records of that. So unfortunately the data around the number of workers who die in construction, even in, you know, a city like New York city are kind of murky. And so can even for years be an undercount, but the numbers that we have right now show that at least 29 construction workers died on construction sites in New York in 2020. And then that surged to at least 39 workers in 2021. And so uh, that that data is a little stronger than what we have for 2022. The 2022 data is still being collected. So we know that at least 24 workers have been documented to have died on job sites in New York in 2022. That's almost certainly an undercount that will go up as that data is collected and likely won't even be verified until 2024, just to give you an idea of how slow and under-resourced these systems for counting this stuff is. But, um, and these deaths disproportionately affect immigrant workers who are, as I I was saying, are so often targeted for exploitation by non-union construction firms. And for example, the company in charge of the job site where a worker died, you know, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and fell 100, what is 162 feet to his death back at the end of November, the company that was employing him that was in charge of the site, Renan Construction Corporation, uh, they accrued over ten thousand dollars in OSHA fines in 2018. Who ten grand? Um, but clearly, that you know didn't do anything to change their practices because now you still have people dying on their their construction sites. So yeah, 
Well, and in the wake of all of this, the workers have been pushing for this for years for the passage of Carlos's law, which they introduced in 2018 for Carlos Moncayo, a worker who was killed after his employer failed to properly reinforce a trench he was working in 2015, causing it to collapse. The bill establishes criminal penalties upon contractors of at least $300,000 for a misdemeanor and $500,000 for a felony conviction for a worker's death or injury. And we've said many times on this show that, of course, there's no dollar amount that makes up for losing a human life, but the dollar amounts we had seen before were absolutely pitiful, and to see actual fractions of a million dollars does represent some amount of progress. Yeah, well, yeah. and I mean, the co- the construction companies really put on its face the reason why these sorts of penalties are necessary because of how they actually choose to look at workers, where when the construction companies lobbied against the bill, they claimed it would drive them out of business, which... <laughs> I mean, if you're liter- if you're having so many people die that actual mm-hmm. penalties for causing the deaths of human beings will put you out of business, good. Fuck you. Go out of business, pieces of shit. We don't give a goddamn about your fucking murdering asses. I mean, like, because that's the thing is, like, you're coming to the state legislature and with a straight face saying, wait, you mean you want us to make sure none of our workers die on the job? Well, how will we be able to operate with these ridiculous restrictions? <laughs> how could we do with, with this red tape? <laughs> it's literally a Futurama joke. Like you could just have Professor Farnsworth say it and everybody would be like, ha ha, the future's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like, again, this law was originally introduced back in 2018 and it took four years, you know, to try and, and pressure the state to actually pass it. And then it took another year <laughs> Uh, to get the governor to sign it because this was originally passed back in the spring and it just sat on governor Hochul's desk all this time, basically clearly being like, well, if, if I don't sign it, eventually people will forget about it and I can just not sign it. Um, yeah, but workers and their families notorious for forgetting about the deaths of the people they love. Yeah, so thankfully, though, after continued pressure from from workers in the construction industry, uh, she Governor Hochul did eventually sign the law, and so now New York will become one of the very few parts of the country where there are actual some labor laws that actually have some real teeth. Now, I will say I don't want to put too much of a damper on it because it's good. Like, look, we know we're never going to get a solution under capitalism. You can't make like little reforms like this and actually solve the the big problems. But if this reform even just puts some pressure on these companies to actually obey things like New York's scaffolding law mm-hmm. and, and actually provide better safety conditions and we get fewer workplace deaths, is that going to overthrow capitalism? No. But is it a really good thing? <laughs> yes. Uh, I do. I will say, though, that like with all legislation aimed at helping workers, the devil is going to be in the details of how this is actually implemented. Because again, for these penalties to work, the company has to be held criminally liable, although only on a misdemeanor for the worker's death. And so it's going to come down to whether state prosecutors actually use this law to hold companies accountable, which ultimately I think is why we're going to need to see continued pressure from the workers in the construction industry to not only say, Hey, we got this law passed, but to say, 
and you better fucking use it mm -hmm. because if a law that goes on the books and then you know, the prosecutor just takes pressure from the governor to be like, yeah, all right, we passed that law, but don't don't use it. Those companies like give us give me a lot of money. So we're going to need continued worker pressure as we do with any labor law on this because ultimately it's the unions and the organized workers who actually are the only ones who can make sure these laws get enforced. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and speaking of continued worker pressure, over in Tacoma, Washington, workers at the Tacoma Art Museum have been fighting for months to get their employer to voluntarily recognize their union. And in an unusual twist, it's not because state law prevents them from unionizing with the NLRB, but because a provision in the NLRA would keep them from forming a wall-to-wall -wall union. So as we heard from Liberation News, the Tacoma Art Museum Workers Union, TAMWU, went public with their union back in October, announcing they'd secured well over 80% of workers' support by signing cards. They have held off on filing for an election, however, because the workers want their union to be truly all-inclusive. So they want to cover all of the workers at the museum, including the security guards, but a provision in the now nearly a century-old NLRA does not allow unions who apply for an election through the NLRB to include security guards. They must be in a different bargaining unit. Additionally, workers are concerned that in an NLRB election, visitation services workers, who are the lowest paid at the museum, could be classed as security guards, forcing them out of the bargain unit as well. This one's got everything, doesn't it? It's got misclassification coming at these workers from every direction. Yeah. Yeah. I, this was a, this was a part of the reason I wanted to include this story. Like it, it's a good story out of Liberation News, but also just that's a provision of the NLRA I was not aware of. Mm. That they're like, oh yeah, you can unionize security guards, but they have to be in their own union. Which like I I really want to know like the labor history behind like why that is. It might be because <laughs> it used to be that more security guards were like ex cops and former military yeah. compared to now where security guard is like a much more toned down position and they tend to pay pretty close to minimum wage. Yeah. So I'm really not sure where that comes from, but it has put these workers in a really difficult spot because, you know, they, they want to have everybody in their union, but because they can't go through the NLRB election process mm -hmm. and have everybody in the bargaining unit to get what they want, they have to get voluntary recognition and that sucks because that puts so much more leverage on the board in charge of the museum. Mm -hmm. And so a, a month after the workers went public and asked for voluntary recognition, the, the museum's board of trustees rejected the union's request, which took them a fucking month to say no. Um, and then, and then uh, put a, a, a strong exclamation point on their refusal by retaining union busting law firm, Safarth and Shaw. And, and so in response to that, the workers have organized rallies attended by hundreds of community members, activists, and other members of the labor movement in Tacoma to demand that the museum recognize the union so that all the workers can be included. And, and in response to the board's refusal to recognize the union, uh, one of the members of the union, Eden Richmond, told Liberation News, quote, it's disappointing, but we have great support from unions across Washington, the community in Tacoma, and workers at the museum, and we're ready to keep going. End quote. Um, and, and that's one of the things, this is another one of those stories where the, there's an aspect to it that one of the things that I found so great about it was the fact that like, clearly these workers are well aware that if they cut the security guards out of their union, they could win an NLRB election immediately. Like it would be very easy. They could get their union. They could get it all over with. 
But they're not doing that because they don't want to, you know, break up that solidarity and abandon that group of workers to be on their own. And and that's the sort of stuff. It's like this this is why solidarity is so important and 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 why I think this sort of an effort to say, no, we're not going to leave these workers behind just because some bullshit law says we're supposed to. Fuck you. <laughs> like, all the workers want to be in the same union. They should be able to be in the same union. Recognize our goddamn union. And and I think that that's really inspiring to see. I absolutely, absolutely. agree, honestly. Like, it, it, to have even, like, what many people how misinterpret the NLRB as like the good law in America you know to see these sorts of provisions and we uh, try to highlight this very often whether it be you know the exclusion of agricultural workers or the uh, la- railway labor act or other sorts of ways in which the law does not actually protect workers and uh, this this really highlights a way in which you know workers are forced to fight back in ways that the law does not support and I think that that just fucking rocks. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of workers fighting back, mm-hmm. <laughs> we've got our, our, our usual end segment here, folks, to check on the Starbucks Workers United movement. And this is basically like the all NLRB check. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first, to start with, uh, there has been more bullshit from Starbucks, continuing to fire workers illegally for organizing. On Friday the 23rd, literally the Friday before Christmas, Starbucks fired Beck, who is a key worker organizer in Ithaca, who'd been with the company for over five years, which came just a month after the company had fired her sister, who worked at the same store. Like... I mean, I feel like I've I've heard Beck's name before. I mean, when following this, there are a couple names that come up pretty often, and that that name I I definitely recognize. And uh, honestly, not surprised to see it, uh, especially after we have seen the firing or at least the forcing out of of Jazz Brizak. Yeah, well, and an especially heartless move to just go ahead and fire Beck uh, the the day before Christmas weekend. Uh, and then in response, the workers didn't lose any time, literally the day after Christmas, when most people are still recovering. Uh, workers at the Seneca Street store where Beck and her sister worked launched a one-day protest strike demanding that they be rehired and have also launched a... go. The workers there have also launched a GoFundMe to help Beck stay in her home after being fired for organizing during the holidays. Because, I mean, like, we see Starbucks do a lot of monstrous stuff, but firing somebody at Christmas is like, that's a true cruelty, you know? Yeah, it, and it's yeah, it's so much of this cool because it's like they fired her sister basically on Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and then they're like, Jesus. "Oh, well, how can we make this worse? What if we also fire the other sister on Christmas?" It's like, like it's a, I'm like I'm just a, like these are like Pixar villain like moves. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean it's it is cliche how much it is like the uh, you know classic Ebenezer Scrooge, but. Uh, we'll definitely, uh, we have a link to the GoFundMe to help Beck, uh, who has been fired. So, uh, we will be putting that in the show notes. And of course, any donations to any of these workers who have been illegally filed for fired for organizing are, are, we really appreciate that. Um, yeah, well, and then, I mean, that wasn't the end of the firings on the holiday season where on Tuesday, December 27th, the company fired another key organizer in Miami, the company fired Will, the lead organizer, uh, at the unionized store in 
in the Miami suburb of Hialeah, where, uh, you know, Will had been a worker with Starbucks for over a decade, but was fired for protected activity. Workers at his store have vowed to fight back and file ULPs to get Will's job back. And, you know, that will certainly take, you know, the normal amount of time that the NLRB has been taking uh, for a lot of these things. Yeah, well, I mean, unfortunately, the best case on that is if we hear back in six months that the the store has been ordered to rehire Will. Um, So hopefully that happens. I just hate the fact that it takes so long. Um, And, you know, another indication of it's like, well, there's a reason that the state doesn't give the NLRB very much money. Yeah, Um, well, you know, you could try studying a faster moving field like plate tectonics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And so... But speaking of the NLRB, the the next day on Wednesday, the 28th, the NLRB hit the company with yet another big complaint, this time specifically related to Starbucks' refusal to bargain with any of their stores. The board's complaint specifically says that the company has illegally refused to bargain at 21 union stores in Washington and Oregon. Uh, and this is all from a report by Josh Idelson at Bloomberg, of course, one, you know, one of the reporters who's been doing the, the best coverage of the Starbucks Workers United movement. Um, and... In response to this complaint, Starbucks corporate, I will say, I'll give them this. They stay on message. Their <laughs> message is all lies, but they stick to it. I, I mean, I, I'll give them that. They have, they have, they have not broken kayfabe, but uh, like they just keep putting out statements, trying to gaslight the American people to say they're bargaining in good faith. They're not illegally attacking workers for organizing. Despite being hit with more unfair labor practices and NLRB lawsuits over the past year than any other company in the country, uh, I, 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 I will say I am impressed that they can still say this stuff with a straight face. <laughs> um, they, they even had the gall to blame Starbucks workers United for the lack of progress in bargaining, which. Yeah. <sighs> and I mean, really, they, they really believe in the ideology of, of capitalist supremacy. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's 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 wild what like you can get people to say if you pay them enough money, I guess. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the, the board's complaint aims to compel the company to bargain regularly in good faith with the union instead of their current practice of saying they will bargain in good faith with the union, uh, showing up several hours late to the bargaining session, seeing that workers want to be in the uh, involved with the bargaining session remotely, claiming that's not allowed, and then walking out immediately. Uh, so, Which has been a consistent practice. Yeah. Uh, and so in response to the complaint, uh, major organizer from Starbucks Workers United, Michelle Eisen, said, quote, this complaint proves what workers have been saying all along. Starbucks is dragging their feet and the negotiating table and refusing to bargain with us in good faith, end quote, which is obvious. And uh, thankfully, you know, two days later, we got another NLRB complaint around the same thing. This was on December 30th that. Speaking of Jazz Brizak, mm-hmm. that we finally got acknowledgement from the NLRB that back in September, the company had illegally forced her out of the company. We had we had reported on that back when it happened, and she made it very clear that what this was basically a result of the policy that Starbucks has had of attacking organizers by slashing their hours or setting them or only allowing them to schedule hours for times they knew they could not do. Um, and so... 
basically the company said, oh, she resigned. What do you, we didn't fire her. You can't be mad at us. And so the NLRB, thankfully, has you know seen through that incredibly obvious bullshit and has agreed that functionally her being forced to resign was an illegal fire, firing. And they've said they will issue a complaint intending to force the company to rehire her with back pay unless the company settles. And in some of these cases, Starbucks just is like, all right, fine, you caught us, whatever, we'll rehire them, who cares? Um, in this one, it does seem like they're going to fight it, where, the, as usual, they've denied all wrongdoing. Uh, and it, despite the fact that this is obvious retaliation and one of their spokespeople sent a response, a statement to Josh Idelson saying, quote, the facts do not support these claims. And we are confident this will be dismissed when the full legal process has run its course. Damn, and turns oh out you gosh. can just lie. That's so wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the whole process is just mind-numbingly frustrating. Yeah, well, and, you know, <clears throat> Jazz Brezak is not uh, fooled by any of this. For, uh, for her part, she said that while these moves by the NLRB are welcome, they won't be the vehicle by which the workers win their union rights. Quote, it's going to take a lot more public pressure on Starbucks to get them to fundamentally change their strategy, end quote, mm -hmm. which is absolutely true. Uh, way to be, you know, way to see right through the situation there. And we did also see, last thing, on Friday the 30th that the NLRB issued Issued a complaint against Starbucks in Oklahoma City over several ULPs at two stores. The complaint, which covers actions taken by Starbucks from the beginning of 2022, refers to illegal actions taken by the management there, including telling workers they can't discuss the union, interrogating workers about union activities, threatened workers with retaliation if they didn't attend captive audience meetings, illegally enforcing a dress code against union buttons, telling workers organizing was futile, promising benefits for not unionizing and even firing one worker for organizing at the Nichols Hill location. I haven't had to get out my NLRA violations bingo card in a while, but that just <laughs> filled it out. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's like they basically took the, it's like, what's the list of protected concerted activity that we can't fuck with? All right, now do every one of those. Yeah, it was like a to-do <laughs> list for them. So, so the complaint demands that the company post notices about their illegal activity and hold a meeting with all workers to explain the rights that the workers have when organizing. So, Starbucks is fighting the ruling, which is set for a hearing in April. It's funny. They're fighting against like having to put up a piece of paper. Yeah. I, I don't understand why they're fighting that one because this is one of those cases <laughs> where like, oh no, you have to post a notice. Like you, they don't even have to really admit wrongdoing. Like it's because the, the penalties are so little. Mm -hmm. It's like, why even bother paying the lawyers to contest this? It's, it's well, and so I mean, we know the answer to that question. I mean, it's because they are willing to spend any amount of money to crush worker organizing because yeah. they see it as a threat to their profits and their, you know, again, capitalist supremacy over the workers. Mm. And all, all the more reason why, you know, everybody should be, you know, keeping up on the no contract, no coffee campaign mm -hmm. so that we can you know, always try and keep folks posted on ways that community members will be able to help when there's big strikes like the, the, the Red Cup Rebellion, the Double Down Strike and ways that folks can help support, you know, the Starbucks workers, because as they've made it clear, the NLRB is probably not going to be the ones that force them to actually bargain in good faith. It's no. going to be the workers and the workers are going to need support from all of us. Absolutely. Right. And as we encourage everyone to support the workers, we uh, will support you with a little bit of comedy gold that we call the <laughs> meme review. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
So this first one so, I really, really like. Oh, did you want to do it? I was just going to say that, uh, you know, in in keeping with our predictions, and we're going to be trying to make those predictions happen, we are going to be starting with a Uf, um, UFCW reform tweet. Yeah, this actually comes from at Reform UFCW, and it just says, when people tell us our criticisms of the UFCW are valid, but we should, quote, be more civil, and then it just has a protester holding a cardboard sign that says, I am a little upset. (laughs) (laughs) I love that one. It's very funny. (laughs) Well, because... They have the first, they have the, the, the protester in this has the perfect facial expression yeah. for the sign because they look precisely a little upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we also have a DeShare Zone meme, which is a, got a, a what is this? this is like a wraith with a giant mace. Mace that also has like a. With a with a hel- big axe on the side. Yeah. Like a halberd blade on it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a pretty pretty wild weapon. Uh, and the text, yeah, the the text on this one is uh, your y o u r e boss is quote on vacation, but you don't have vacation time. It's steal from work week. You don't even have to want it. <laughs> you would be surprised at how much office supplies sell for on eBay. <laughs> on eBay. eBay. Oh, eBay. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no, that's the thing. It's uh, we used to at my old job. We used to call it when the boss was like, "Oh, yeah, we got an implant holiday today." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, just a fun tip: if you ever want to know how much things are actually selling for on eBay, uh, you just look up whichever item you intend to, you know, and appropriate, uh, <laughs> appropriate <laughs> and you just go to last sold, and that'll let you know what the actual price is, because mm-hmm. people will ask for ridiculous amounts on there. Yeah. John with the important, helpful tips in the meme review. I used to help people price <laughs> stuff at a secondhand store. That's how we did it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. Did the so, same thing at one of the sales jobs I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The next one is one of my favorite Cats with Hard Hats memes in a while. <laughs> so this one, you've got a, a worker cat and a, a boss cat down at the bottom. And so you've got it captioned, me trying to convince management to mark me down as inoperable equipment. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you get the boss cat who's just there like with a little tie and, and on like no that's not how it works and then you have the the worker cat who's got his little little can of zoomies energy drink and has got a little tag on him and it, so it says but you guys use me like equipment and i'm done being operable look i'm even tagged out <laughs> the little tag says do not operate it's, it's, it's good this is a cute little and, meme and Sticking with good safety protocol because you should always make sure you tag out damaged or inoperable equipment. So, mm-hmm. you know, good good safety uh, lessons from this meme. Yeah, Absolutely. important to always know where the tag box is. And and then, so the next one, we've got uh, a, a cl- sort of like a, one of those old-timey classic labor cartoons from the newspapers. This one specifically is from 1937. Uh, and it's titled a big year ahead by Carlo. And it's, and it's just showing a guy like waking up and stretching his arms and it's it's labeled American labor. And then there's the little new year's baby come with like a big clock. That's just go screaming new struggles because you know what? It may be a new year, but the fight of workers against capital never gets a day off. Absolutely. Yeah. I also love that he's not just baby New Year. He's specifically baby 1937. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I mean, we've seen some calls from many labor leaders like Chris Mulls saying that, you know, this year there will be wins, real wins. You know, there's going to be, I mean, he predicts a contract at Amazon, which I am very encouraged by because, you know, organizing's got to happen and we're looking forward to it. And with that, I also have this last little meme, which I, you know, every once in a while, I I find a really nice, cute meme to put in here, which is this kind of, uh, you know, 16-bit possum. Uh, is it 16-bit? It seems kind of like that. Eh, yeah. Whatever. It's it's pixelated. It's pixelated possum with a bunch of little baby possums on it. And the text on this one is, with solidarity, workers can do the impossible, which I just thought was cute. And Hell I liked yeah. it. So if you want to see these memes, we always post them every week in the episode discussion. So, you know, if you want, if you're, you're like, ah, oh, you know, I kind of like the idea of that one, but I can't see it. Or I want to share that one with my friends. You know, you can jump in the discord and head over to the episode discussion channel and the memes will be right there. Uh, otherwise, you know, you can support us in many other ways by becoming a patron because we are an entirely listener-supported show that is done over at patreon.com slash workstoppage. And the Discord link is actually in the description of this episode, so you can join us via that. You can write us a five-star review anywhere uh, and follow us in all the places. Follow John at... At Twitter, follow John at work. Stop. No. Follow me at Twitter HQ. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, go, fo- go to Elon's house and hold up a sign asking where John. Is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good bit. Don't specify which John. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But don't yeah. actually do that. <laughs> uh, you just put at Facebook villain on that on that sign that you're going to hold up, and then uh, also you know follow the pod at Work Stoppage Pod. You can listen to Beep Beep Lettuce, listen to Red Game Table, and then as always, labor peace is not in our interest, and solidarity forever. Solidarity, solidarity, everybody. <laughs>
Thank you.